Well, good morning to you. I appear to be having some technical difficulties with my intro this morning, um, but never mind because I am here nevertheless to talk to you about St. Patrick. St. Patrick is who we are thinking about today. As we look towards Friday, which is the celebration of his feast day uh, in many different Christian denominations, we're going to talk about the man himself, we are going to look at what we know about his life and potentially why he has become such an interesting figure in, um, in the modern reception of Christianity around the world. But to start us off, we are going to have a quick think about what has been going on with our weather this week, because it has been really, really strange. Yesterday, for me, was perhaps the weirdest day of all, uh, because we had snow to start with. I walked to school in the snow yesterday morning, which is, you know, it's not unusual for March time. Um, I've been before on school trips to France where we have talked, um, uh, we've taken, sorry, we have taken trips down the Seine and I've been sitting on a boat on the River Seine in the middle of April with 40 children and it has started snowing, um, which is beautiful. I have sat in Disneyland with children going off doing the rides. I've been clutching a hot chocolate and sitting in the snow um, which was a bit of a jarring experience because, of course, Disneyland Paris at this time, they are celebrating all of their, um, their springtime bits and bobs. You know, the flower displays are out, Mickeys are, are hidden amongst bushes and, and bunches, and then you sit there in the snow and you're expecting something like Frozen um, to appear. But... Nevertheless, it is quite common, uh, but it was still quite jarring because for me yesterday, um, having walked to school in the snow to start with, um, I came home in blazing sunshine. And it, actually the sun did not begin to set yesterday until after six, which, um, which was interesting. But that also made me think about the oncoming bouts of seasonal depression that people will be prone to. Um, I actually think I myself am coming down with about. Uh, I realised this yesterday. It was quite interesting. Um, I make no secret, I talk quite often on the show about how a couple of years ago I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Um, I take daily medication for it, which is has been very, very helpful. Uh, my doctors have said that it um, it has probably been with me forever. It's not something that has suddenly come on. Um, I just, I realised during the pandemic that my life got better, quite frankly, during the pandemic. My life got easier when the world was kind of shut down, um, when there were fewer things for me to do, fewer things for me to be rushing back and forth between, um, I realized how, how easy life could be. 
And it made me realise when people were talking about reopening, when there was that big rush to get um, to get the world open again, it made me realise that the ease of my life during quarantines, uh, during lockdowns, was what most people feel all of the time. And that's why they were so anxious to get back to it. And so that was the point where I thought, okay, so there is probably something wrong. I should talk to my doctor. And so I did. And that was a whole thing. Um, but yeah, what I've kind of noticed as after I got my diagnosis, because I, I know that this is always a thorny issue. You know, do you need to wait to have a diagnosis of something before you start taking it seriously as a facet of yourself, of something that, that, that is part of you uh and that's very personal that's very um that's very individual but as somebody who had friends and family who had been diagnosed with depression um i didn't feel right taking that label even though i thought that that might be what i had uh, because i didn't have the diagnosis and i felt that for me it was a case of i needed to be told by a doctor that that was what i had before i was comfortable self-identifying and, you know, that's just my choice. That was just down to me. Um, but what ended up being quite interesting is that since getting the diagnosis uh, and kind of having to be more aware of my moods and my patterns is what is emerging as a pattern. And one of the things that I think I probably have is what is quite patronizingly called uh, reverse SAD. So SAD is seasonal affective disorder, and it's the the depression that lots of people get during the winter. Uh, and and the thinking behind it is that with the drop in sunlight and the drop in in vitamin D, that makes people feel worse, and it can bring on bouts of depression. That's a, obviously a very simplified view of it. I am not a doctor. Um, and, and, and so I am just making it very simple as far as I understand it. The reverse SAD suggests that depression can also set in in some people when the sun comes out. So when it starts to get lighter. Um, and I, I honestly think that's what I have, because I think I, I noticed it yesterday um, that I was beginning to to feel the depression creeping in. And for the first time ever, one of my students noticed. Um, he, year 10 French, we were playing Blukit. Um, and he noticed that I was taking my time to answer the questions because my reaction time had slowed down, which is quite common when you are in a depressive bout. Um, luckily, he thought that I was just taking my time to answer the questions um, so that I could score the maximum number of points. I make no secret of the fact that I'm very competitive um, and I will quite happily beat my classes in in Blukit, in Kahoot, in whatever it might be. I'm very happy to do that. Um, so he thought it was just part of my strategy and that was good. But it was the first time ever that a student has noticed or at least has told me that they've noticed um, that my reaction times have slowed. And so that coupled with the kind of changing weather yesterday and the, the lighting days and the lighting nights, I think is probably what has brought on 
a bout of reverse seasonal affective disorder, even though I am not quite sure how it's reverse, um, because it is still my mood, my my mental health being affected by the seasons. So just because it's not the same as um, the one that the majority of the people get, uh, doesn't mean that it's reversed, doesn't mean that it's it's wrong. It just means that it's different. And again, you know, there are whole conversations to be had about how in society today, we talk about how things that are not the same as the norm are backwards, are reverse, um, are wrong. And that's, um, that's a whole other show, I think. Tim has texted in, good morning, Tim. Always lovely to hear from you. Tim was one of my first guests here on the Saturday Breakfast Show. I like to plug our children's literature shows as often as I can because I'm still very, very proud of those interviews um, and the work that we did on children's literature. So if you have the time, please do go back to listen to them. They are literally my first and second shows um, because we had we had the technical difficulties that do seem to plague us every so often here at Saturday Morning Breakfast, like this morning with my non-functioning um, titles but tim has texted in and said thank you for sharing this openly and honestly with us well you're very welcome you're very welcome thank you for for that acknowledgement i appreciate it i think there continues to be a lot of stigma surrounding mental health um i think there are a few different ways that people perceive it i think i do think that society has changed to the extent where Talking about mental health has now become normalized, which is fantastic. Um, I, I don't feel that these days by sharing these things with you, I'm in danger of losing my job, which as a teacher, I may have been in danger of um, even just 10 years ago. I think I probably would have been scared that being open about these things would have cost me my job. But I think perhaps partially because of the pandemic, and because we started to think about mental health a lot more carefully during that time, you know, the people who didn't enjoy the lockdowns as much as I did, who didn't profit from them as much as I did, um, who realised how difficult lots of people find being out in the world when the world is open. Um, I think they, they paved the way for having these conversations because, as unfortunate as it is, it's only when the majority of people start to understand the issues of the minority that these conversations are had. And so while of course my heart does go out to anybody who suffered during the pandemic, who suffered during the lockdowns, um, and who may still be facing um, repercussions, consequences of those in their mental health, uh, I think it, it has opened up lots of doors in terms of talking about it. I also think as a teacher, the fact that our young people are more tuned into mental health, certainly than, uh, than I was when I was their age, um, is also a factor because lots of children will talk openly about their mental health. They will talk openly about um, diagnoses that they have either from a doctor or that they have given themselves. Uh, we see social media, channels full of it you know people will always very openly talk about their ADHD 
or their depression or their anxiety or whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's I think it's healthy that these conversations are coming out. And I think as adults, um, particularly as adults who have some kind of responsibility over young people, whether that's as a teacher or as a parent or as a writer for young people, as I know some of my audience members are, um, I think it's it's good for us to be honest about our own struggles because I think it's through talking about our own struggles that we can normalize them for our young people. And we can teach our young people that having um, difficulties with your mental health is no different to having difficulties with your physical health. Um, and, you know, in the same way that my asthma does not stop me from being a good teacher, my anxiety and depression does not stop me from being a good teacher. And so that means that any of my children who may also be suffering from anxiety and depression should know that it doesn't need to get in their way. Uh, this is not to say that I walk about school with a badge that says I have anxiety and depression on it. Um, I'm not actually sure that any of my kids know. Uh, and like I said, I, I was quite happy on Friday, yesterday, when the, the boy in my class put my slower reflexes down to wanting to take my time in order to win the game, because that means that I didn't need to have a very personal conversation with them. Um, but I think if a student were to ever ask me, or if a student were to ever share their own concerns about their mental health, I would quite happily talk to them about my experience, um, mostly because I've had a very positive one. And I would hope that I can encourage my young people to, to seek the help and, and hopefully get the same quality of help and care that I've had. Uh, but also so that they know that they're not on their own because that can be scary for anybody. But for young people who crave that sense of community, who need that feeling of fitting in, I think it's very important for them to feel that there is a community of people around them who also suffer with their mental health, who, who also have these same difficulties that they do, but are still thriving and who are still succeeding both personally and professionally and and honestly i think i have a responsibility to do that again that's not to say that everybody is not every teacher may be as comfortable sharing that with their pupils not every broadcaster may be comfortable sharing um with their audience uh i don't know perhaps i overshare perhaps this will turn around and bite me um, but all any of us can do is what we think is right in the moment. Um, and in this moment, I think it's it's only right to share with with my my Saturday morning breakfast family um, what's going on because we're having breakfast together. Meals are a a time to share. They are a time to talk. They are a time to come together. Okay, I do appear to be having many difficulties with my audio today, which is actually a hindrance to the show because some of the things that I want to share with you are audio files uh, and they make up the bulk of the show. What I am going to do is I'm going to try just once more to see if I can get our news to work. If I can't, what I'm going to do is actually end the show um, and then restart. I've never had to do this before. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But um, 
a good old turn it off and turn it on again does tend to fix a myriad of IT problems. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools Week reports the government is set to offer overseas teachers who come to England to teach languages or physics a £10,000 relocation premium under a new trial. The premium would be open to both trainee and established teachers working outside of the UK and would be paid at the end of their first term. Under the plan, there would be no need for the money to be paid back. The Department for Education said the trial could support up to 400 people to relocate, with the full cost adding up to £4 million. According to recent data, secondary school teacher recruitment targets have been missed for all but one of the past 10 years and last year they fell short by 40%. The pilot for this new programme will run in the next academic year. In strike action news, industrial action has been suspended by NEU members in Wales. The action is halted whilst a new pay offer is considered. In a statement reported on a range of media platforms, NEU leaders in Wales said that following discussions with the Welsh Government, a new revised and fully funded pay offer will be put to members. The planned strike for the 15th and 16th of March will now not take place, although these dates remain for action in England and will continue to go ahead as planned. The revised offer for those teaching in Wales is said to be worth a total of 11.8%. The offer will be voted on by members of the NEU in Wales via electronic ballot. NEU leaders Dr Mary Bowstead and Kevin Courtney thanked the Welsh Government for the constructive approach to finding a resolution and contrasted it with the behaviour of Gillian Keegan, England's Secretary of State for Education, who they said was preventing talks in England by refusing talking to ACAS. Teachers in Scotland, who are members of the EIS union, have also voted to accept their latest pay offer. This will see a 7% rise backdated to April 2022, a further 5% next month and another 2% in January. NESUWT members in Scotland have yet to vote on the offer. Student loans are back in the spotlight after changes to the system. Channel 4 reports that student loan repayments will rise for those in the next cohort of students in England, as the repayment threshold is to be dropped. The government has said this makes the loan system fairer for taxpayers and students, whilst education experts say it will make low to middle income graduates worse off. Current students will only make 9% repayments when they earn over £27,295 a year, or £2,274 a month, or £524 a week in the UK. However, if you're starting an undergrad course or qualify for an advanced learner loan on or after August the 1st, 2023, those students will pay 9% of their income over the lower threshold of £25,000 a year, 2,083 a month or 480 per week. Students on the new plan won't be expected to make payments until April 2026, 
but the length of repayment is also changing. Current students pay until the debt is cleared or for 30 years, but new students will pay until the debt is cleared or for 40 years. Full details of the changes plus comments on the impact many believe it will have can be found on Channel 4's website and all data has been subject to the outlet's fact check system. Finally, a writer who wrote a book on the topic of online misogyny has given an interview to The Guardian. Laura Bates wrote Men Who Hate Women, The Extremism No One Is Talking About, and it was published in 2020. In the interview, she raises concerns about the widening gap between generations who have never known a world without the internet and those older generations struggling to understand and keep up. She talks in particular of the impact this is having on what she describes as the millions of girls who are realising the impossibility of escaping from harassment, revenge porn, deep fakes and the difficulties in navigating a world online. Bates sees the problem in its broadest form, not just an issue with influencers like Andrew Tate. In fact, she says she wasn't even aware of him until last year. This, she says, is worrying in itself as there is a danger that the well-intentioned coverage will only boost his profile and that if and when his influence wanes, many will think it is a case of problem solved, when actually the problems and attitudes that give rise to people like Tate will continue. Full details of the article can be found on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Lots of interesting things going on in the news there this week. Um, I'm a languages teacher, so if the government would like to give me an extra one-off payment of £10,000, that would be much appreciated. Thank you very much. Um, but I do think it is, in seriousness, I do think it is good that the government is doing something to try to um, recruit language teachers. As I mentioned in my show last week, if you didn't listen to last week's show, uh, please do go back. It was called uh, Why Bother Teaching? And I shared lots of stories from my colleagues about why they went into teaching in the first place. Um, and we talked a little bit about bursaries and how um, we used to hear lots of stories of people who would go into teaching specifically for the bursary, um, for those who, who trained to teach shortest subjects and then didn't actually carry on with teaching as a career. Um, it was just a a way of earning more money in that first year post-graduating than they would have done had they gone into the workplace. Um, and so I think it's interesting that the government's response to this waning is to give more one-off payments, when what I think it should be doing is looking not at just attracting people to train to teach, but retaining the teachers who are already in the system. Um, I mentioned this again briefly in last week's show, but um, retention of teachers is a whole other series of shows, let's be honest, um, of its own. But I think one of the things that, that should be focused on is not constantly getting new cohorts of teachers through, because one of the reasons that we have a rising pay scale one of the reasons that we have a threshold is because you do in my opinion become a better teacher as you become more experienced that's not to say that our ects our um 
newly qualified colleagues are not valuable and do not have anything to offer because they do. And I think it's really important for those of us who are more experienced to listen to our colleagues who have just come from university, who have just been through those lectures about the, the recent developments in pedagogy, who understand the changing role of technology in education, and we take ideas from them. But at the same time, those of us who have been teaching for a while, um, I'm in year 16 at this point, um, we have a lot of experience, we have a lot of knowledge, we have a lot of understanding of our job. And I think it's very, very important not to underestimate what we know about teaching, uh, not just what we know about our subject, but what we know about our pedagogy, what we know about the transmission of our knowledge. And I think it's important to reward that because otherwise what will happen is people will start to leave the profession at year five, which is what we're seeing. Those are the trends, um, because that tends to be when you stop rising up the pay scale. And we will lose the ability to draw on very experienced classroom practitioners and we will lose those behavior management strategies. We will lose those tried and tested ways of getting children to remember some of the trickier concepts because we will not have anybody in schools who has gone beyond year five. And I think that would be a real shame. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about St. Patrick. Um, I've chosen this one mostly because St. Patrick's Day is, in my opinion, one of the Saints' Days that we hear the most about. As friends of the show will know, I quite like a calendar curriculum. Um, I like to take things that are coming up, special days, and, and make them a part of my teaching. And very often, Saints' Days, certainly in, in England, are ignored. Um, you know, we don't really do anything for St. George's Day, and that every year raises all sorts of questions and debates in the media. Um, we don't tend to do anything for St. Nicholas's Day. I did a show on winter traditions and festivals back in December, and I talked a bit about St. Nicholas's Day, uh, but we don't celebrate him in the same way they do in the Netherlands and in Germany. And so, yeah, Saints' Days tend to go a bit by the by, which I think is probably a result of our switch as a country from being nationally Catholic to nationally Protestant and the birth of the Church of England. Um, but thanks to social media and thanks in large part to the American identification with St. Patrick, St. Patrick's Day does tend to be in the zeitgeist. Um, it's hugely celebrated in the USA by American citizens who have Irish heritage, who are rightfully proud of having Irish heritage. Um, you know, we see rivers being dyed green. We see the infamous shamrock shake being um, sold in McDonald's. There is um, traditionally green dyed beer. Um, it, it essentially becomes a day of revelry and a day of green. Um, and so St. Patrick 
kind of is in the zeitgeist. He is somebody that that our students, regardless of of where, certainly in the Anglophone world, they are, they will have heard of. Um, they will have heard of him. And so I thought it'd be quite interesting to explore his life today and to explore his works, because we do actually have extant writings of St. Patrick. We have things that he wrote or that he is believed to have written. And I thought it would be interesting for us to explore those. First, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a, a biography of St. Patrick. We will actually listen to his biography a little bit later on. But I'm going to give you a biography. This portion of the show, the next probably hour or so, um, can be taken, I suppose, as a an RS lesson. Um, and I am more than happy, listeners, if you want to use the next hour or so of the show in your classroom, if you are teaching about St. Patrick at all this week, and you would like to use this portion of the show in your classroom as your lesson or as portions of your lesson, uh, I am more than happy for you to do that. So St. Patrick, um, who flourished in Britain and Ireland around the 5th century, we don't have any exact dates for him, um, we just know that his dates were in the 5th century, um, is the patron saint and national apostle of Ireland. He is believed to have brought Christianity to Ireland, and he is likely responsible, at least in part, for the Christianization of the Picts and the Anglo-Saxons, two of the people who lived um, in what is now the UK uh, and Ireland during that time. He wrote a couple of works, which we will listen to today, um, and a lot of um, a lot of legends have cropped up about him. A lot of things are attributed to him. Uh, he was born in Britain to a Romanized family. So he was born while Britain was under Roman occupation. And he was born to a Romano-British family. When he was 16, he was kidnapped by Irish raiders uh, from his dad's villa. And he was taken into slavery in Ireland. Um, his dad, who we believe was called Calpurnius, was a deacon. So he, so St. Patrick was raised in a Christian household in a mixed Britain, because at this time Britain was a mix of Christian and traditional pagan religion. And Britain was being raided almost constantly. Uh, we were under constant threat either from the Vikings up in the north or from yet more Roman forces from the south and, of course, um, the peoples in Ireland from the west. So Patrick's, um, Patrick's village was raided. He was taken into slavery. He spent six years as a slave. Um, he was a herdsman in Ireland, and it was during this time that his Christianity really became cemented. He kind of used his religion as a, as a refuge, I suppose. One night he had a dream um, that there was a boat which would take him to safety, and that boat was ready for him. Uh, so as soon as he woke up from that dream, he ran 
from his master, found the boat that was in his dream and found passage back to Britain. Of course, when he came back to Britain, he was nowhere near his village because all he wanted to do was get back to what he considered to be his home. He didn't care where in the British Isles he ended up. Um, he came near starvation during this time. He was held captive for a second time, but finally he was reunited with his family. Uh, after this point, it's believed that he spent some time in Europe, um, although we're not entirely sure of the um, of the the veracity of that, of the likelihood of that. By the end of the seventh century, St. Patrick had become something of a legend. Uh, and ever since then, the legends around him have continued to grow as he continues to be celebrated. So one of these legends says, perhaps the most famous, that he drove the snakes out of Ireland and into the sea where they drowned, uh, which is a legend to explain why Ireland doesn't have any snakes um, native to it. Uh, unlike the British Isles, which do. Um, Patrick says in some of his writings that he raised people from the dead. And there is a 12th century hagiography. A hagiography is a, a life of a saint, a biography of a saint. And his says that he raised 33 people from the dead, many of whom were supposed to have been dead for a number of years before he raised them. It was also believed that he prayed at one point for the provision of food for hungry sailors who were traveling by land through a very, uh, very desolate area. And that after his prayer, a herd of pigs miraculously appeared, which of course were then slaughtered by these sailors and eaten. One of the one of the legends that gives a lot of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations its aesthetic is that of the shamrock. And this legend says that he used a shamrock, a three-leafed clover, to explain the idea of the Holy Trinity. So the idea of the Holy Trinity in Christianity can be very difficult to understand, even for many Christians. This idea that God is one being in three parts. And that's what Christians believe. Christians believe that there is one God, but God has three aspects, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And St. Patrick explains that through the shamrock. He said that the shamrock is one flower. It's one thing, but there are three leaves on it in the same way that the Christian God is one God that has three aspects, three people. And this is why traditionally the Irish wear shamrocks on their lapels on St. Patrick's Day. And this is also why, in the same way that St. Patrick has become the patron saint of Ireland, the shamrock has become the national flower of Ireland. So that's just a, a bit of a potted history about St. Patrick. Um, again, like I said, we will hear his, his own biography a little bit later on in the show. But first, we're going to listen to a prayer or a hymn that has been attributed to him. So it's believed that St. Patrick wrote this. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Um, it was written originally in Irish, and there are a number of different English translations. 
Um, what's really interesting about this prayer is that it is written in the style of a Druidic spell. So even though it is a Christian prayer, it feels very much like magic, as would have been at the heart of the pagan religions around St. Patrick at this time. And so this is a really interesting example of religious um, synchronicity. The idea of taking elements of a religion, of a popular religion, and using those with the faith that is trying to achieve conversion to make that conversion easier. The Romans had a history of that. The Romans were, were very happy to take other people's faiths, to take other people's gods and their festivals and work them into their own religious beliefs. Um, there are lots of theories as to this being behind the success of the Roman Empire. And Christianity also did this, um, particularly in Europe. So, you know, every single year around Easter, around Christmas, we get the discourse about how these are actually, in inverted commas, pagan holidays um, that have a Christian veneer. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion around that, which I'm not going to go into today. But this prayer that St. Patrick wrote is an example of that, is an example of taking what the people around him were familiar with um, as a religious concept, you know, this idea of a spell, an invocation, an incantation, and Christianizing it uh, to make it fit with his own beliefs. St. Patrick's Breastplate by St. Patrick this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narrated by Sean McKinley I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. I bind this day to me forever, by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on the cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spiced tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom, I bind unto myself to-day. I bind unto myself the power of the great love of the cherubim, the sweet well done in judgment hour, the service of the seraphim, Confessor's faith, Apostle's word, the Patriarch's prayers, the Prophet's scrolls, all good deeds done unto the Lord, and purity of virgin souls. I bind unto myself to-day the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's life-giving ray, the whiteness of the moon at even, the flashing of the lightning free, the whirling winds, tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, the deep salt sea, around the old eternal rocks. I bind unto myself to-day the power of God to hold and lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need, the wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Against the demon snares of sin, 
the vice that gives temptation force, the natural lusts that war within, the hostile men that mar my course, or few or many, far or nigh, in every place and in all hours, against their fierce hostility. I bind to me these holy powers. Against all Satan's spells and wiles, against false words of heresy, against the knowledge that defiles, against the heart's idolatry, against the wizard's evil craft, against the death wound and the burning, the choking wave and the poisoned shaft. Protect me, Christ, till thy returning. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one, and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. End of St. Patrick's Breastplate by St. Patrick So what I find really interesting about that prayer is how it merges the the, the the Christianity, because you cannot deny that that is very much a Christian idea. It's filled with Christian imagery. It's filled with explicit invocation to Christian God and to Jesus Christ. So it is very clearly Christian, but how it does have the same rhythm, the same structure as the Druidic incantations. Uh, and, you know, it, it raises some interesting questions about what religion is, about the, the similarities and the differences between religion and, you know, what makes something Christian versus what makes something pagan. Um, all sorts of, of interesting explorations there for anybody who enjoys comparative religion, um, as I do. The next work of St. Patrick that we're going to listen to is a letter to the soldiers of Caroticus. Now, of course, letter writing at this time was very, very popular among bishops. The bulk of the New Testament for Christians is made up of letters written between bishops and deacons uh, and their congregation throughout the ancient world. Uh, it was the easiest way to communicate with people. Um, it was also something that could show off the intellectual authority of those who were in positions of religious power, because of course not everybody could read and write. And so if you could write, if you could write a letter, and if you were then the one able to read the letter that you had received, it showed that you had education, it showed that you had training. And so it was, it could have been seen as a way of getting trust from the, the general population. This letter um, that is believed to have been written by St. Patrick 
uh, was written to excommunicate the soldiers of Caroticus's army uh, because they had pillaged villages in Ireland and they had forced Christian converts into slavery. Now, of course, we know that slavery is bad. That goes without saying. Um, even at the time, it went without saying, but it still happened. And of course, St. Patrick will have had a very personal, probably a very um, reactionary response to this because he himself had been sold into slavery. And I think, you know, it can be very difficult when you have been through a trauma yourself to, to sit back and, and let that happen to other people. A Letter to the Soldiers of Caroticus by St. Patrick This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narrated by Sean McKinley I, Patrick, a sinner, unlearned, resident in Ireland, declare myself to be a bishop. Most assuredly, I believe that what I am I have received from God. And so I live among barbarians, a stranger and exile for the love of God. He is witness that this is so. Not that I wished my mouth to utter anything so hard and harsh, but I am forced by the zeal for God, and the truth of Christ has wrung it from me out of love for my neighbors and sons for whom I gave up my country and parents and my life to the point of death. If I be worthy, I live for my God to teach the heathen, even though some may despise me. With my own hand I have written and composed these words, to be given delivery and sent to the soldiers of Caroticus. I do not say to my fellow citizens, or to the fellow-citizens of the holy Romans, to fellow-citizens of the demons, because of their evil works. Like our enemies, they live in death, allies of the Scots and the apostate Picts. Dripping with the blood, they welter in the blood of innocent Christians, whom I have begotten into the number for God and confirmed in Christ. The day after the newly baptized, anointed with chrism, in white garments, had been slain. The fragrance was still on their foreheads, when they were butchered and slaughtered with the sword by the above-mentioned people. I sent a letter with a holy presbyter, whom I had taught from his childhood, clerics accompanying him, asking them to let us have some of the booty, and of the baptized they had made captives. They only jeered at them. Hence I do not know what to lament more, those who have been slain, or those whom they have taken captive, or those whom the devil has mightily ensnared. Together with him they will be slaves in hell, in an eternal punishment, for who committeth sin is a slave and will be called a son of the devil. Wherefore let every God-fearing man know that they are enemies of me and of Christ my God for whom I am an ambassador. Parricide, fratricide, ravening wolves that eat the people of the Lord as they eat bread. As I said, the wicked, O Lord, have destroyed thy law, 
which but recently he had excellently and kindly planted in Ireland, and which had established itself by the grace of God. I make no false claim. I share in the work of those whom he called and predestinated to preach the gospel amidst grave persecutions unto the end of the earth, even if the enemy shows his jealousy through the tyranny of Coroticus, a man who has no respect for God, nor his priests whom he chose, giving them the highest divine and sublime power, that whom they should bind upon earth should be bound also in heaven. Wherefore, then, I plead with you earnestly, ye holy and humble of heart, it is not permissible to court the favor of such people, nor to take food or drink with them, nor even to accept their alms, until they make reparation to God in hardships, through penance, with shedding of tears, and set free the baptized servants of God and handmaids of Christ, for whom he died and was crucified. The Most High disapproveth the gifts of the wicked. He that offereth sacrifice of the goods of the poor is as one that sacrificeth the son in the presence of his father. The riches, it is written, which he has gathered unjustly, shall be vomited up from his belly. The angel of death drags him away. By the fury of dragons he shall be tormented. The viper's tongue shall kill him. Unquenchable fire devoureth him. And so, woe to those who fill themselves with what is not their own. Or, what doth it profit a man that he gain the whole world, and suffer the loss of his own soul? It would be too tedious to discuss and set forth everything in detail, to gather from the whole law testimonies against such greed. Avarice is a deadly sin. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not kill. A murderer cannot be with Christ. Whosoever hateth his brother is accounted a murderer. Or, he that loveth not his own brother abideth in death. How much more guilty is he that has stained his hands with the blood of the sons of God, whom he has of late purchased in the utmost part of the earth through the call of our littleness? Did I come to Ireland without God, or according to the flesh? Who compelled me? I am bound by the Spirit not to see any of my kinsfolk. Is it of my own doing that I have holy mercy on the people who once took me captive, and made away with the servants and maids of my father's house? I was free-born according to the flesh. I am the son of a decursion. But I sold my noble rank. I am neither ashamed nor sorry for the good of others. Thus I am a servant in Christ, to a foreign nation, for the unspeakable glory of life everlasting, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if my own people do not know me, a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Perhaps we are not of the same fold, and have not one and the same God as Father. As is written, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. It is not right that one destroyeth, another buildeth up. I seek not the things that are mine. It is not my grace, but God who has given this solicitude into my heart, 
to be one of his hunters or fishers whom God once foretold would come in the last days. I am hated. What shall I do, Lord? I am most despised. Look, thy sheep around me are torn to pieces and driven away, and that by those robbers, by the orders of the hostile-minded Croticus. Far from the love of God is a man who hands over Christians to the Picts and the Scots. Ravening wolves have devoured the flock of the Lord, which in Ireland was indeed growing splendidly, with the greatest care, and the sons and daughters of kings were monks and virgins of Christ. I cannot count their number. Wherefore, be not pleased with the wrong done to the just. Even to hell it shall not please. Who of the saints would not shudder to be merry with such persons, or to enjoy a meal with them? They have filled their houses with the spoils of dead Christians. They live on plunder. They do not know, the wretches, that what they offer their friends and sons as food is deadly poison just as Eve did not understand that it was death she gave to her husband. So are all that do evil. They work death as their eternal punishment. This is the custom of the Roman Christians of Gaul. They send holy and able men to the Franks and other heathen, with so many thousand solidi, to ransom baptized captives. You prefer to kill and sell them to a foreign nation that has no knowledge of God, you betray the members of Christ, as it were, into a brothel. What hope have you in God, or any one who thinks as you do, or converses with you in words of flattery? God will judge. For Scripture says, Not only they that do evil are worthy to be condemned, but they also that consent to them. I do not know what I should say or speak further about the departed ones of the sons of God, whom the sword has touched all too harshly. For Scripture says, Weep with them that weep. And again, if one member be grieved, let all members grieve with it. Hence the church mourns and laments her sons and daughters, whom the sword has not yet slain, but who were removed and carried off to faraway lands, where sin abounds openly, grossly, impudently. There, people who were free-born and have been sold, Christians made slaves, and that, too, in the service of the abominable, wicked, and apostate picks. Therefore I shall raise my voice in sadness and grief. O you fair and beloved brethren, and sons whom I have begotten in Christ, countless of number, what can I do for you? I am not worthy to come to the help of God or men. The wickedness of the wicked hath prevailed over us. We have been made, as it were, strangers. Perhaps they do not believe that we have received one and the same baptism, or have one and the same God as Father. For them it is a disgrace that we are Irish. Have ye not, as is written, one God? Have ye every one of you forsaken his neighbor? Therefore I grieve for you, I grieve, my dearly beloved, but again I rejoice within myself, I have not labored for nothing, and my journeying abroad has not been in vain. 
and if this horrible unspeakable crime did happen, thanks be to God, you have left the world and have gone to paradise as baptized faithful. I see you. You have begun to journey where the night shall be no more, nor morning, nor death, but you shall leap like calves, loosened from their bonds, and you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under your feet. You, then, will reign with the apostles and prophets and martyrs. You will take on of eternal kingdoms, as he himself testifies, saying, They shall come from the east and from the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Without are dogs and sorcerers and murderers, and liars and perjurers have their portion in the pool of everlasting fire. Not without reason does the apostle say, Where the just man shall scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly transgressor of the law find himself? Where then will Coroticus with his criminals, rebels against Christ, where will they see themselves, they who distribute baptized women as prizes for a miserable temporal kingdom, which will pass away in a moment, as a cloud or smoke that is dispersed by the wind? So shall the deceitful wicked perish at the presence of the Lord, but the just shall feast with great constancy with Christ. They shall judge nations, and rule over wicked kings for ever and ever. Amen. I testify before God and his angels that it will be so as he indicated to my ignorance. It is not my words that I have set forth in Latin, but those of God and the apostles and prophets, who have never lied. He that believeth shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be condemned. God hath spoken. I ask earnestly that whosoever is a willing servant of God be a carrier of this letter, so that on no account it be suppressed or hidden by any one, but rather be read before all the people and in the presence of Croticus himself. May God inspire them some time to recover their senses for God, repenting, however late, their heinous deeds, murderers of the brethren of the Lord, and to set free the baptized women whom they took captive, in order that they may deserve to live to God, and be made whole here and in eternity. Be peace to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. End of A Letter to the Soldiers of Coroticus by St. Patrick Some very strong words there from St. Patrick. It's very clear to hear the um, his feelings, his anger, his frustration at having been taken captive himself. And I think, you know, it, it's very easy for us to think of these people uh, who have been sainted as being very meek and very mild-mannered, uh, very pious, I suppose. And, and we forget that they can be just as they could have been just as angry um just as as traumatized by their past experiences as anybody who went through them today would be um and i think that was very clear from some of the things that um that patrick said finally we're going to have excerpts from um 
the confession of saint patrick the his biography um this is a 40 minute long recording and of course we've only got 30 minutes left of the show so i will probably stop it a little abruptly a little early um however if you're interested and you want to hear the end uh you can of course download this same recording from librivox confession by saint patrick this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org narrated by sean mckinley i patrick a sinner a most simple countryman the least of all the faithful and most contemptible to many had for a father the deacon calpurnius son of the late Poncitus, a priest of the settlement of Bonavem Taborniae. He had a small villa near by, where I was taken captive. I was at that time about sixteen years of age. I did not, indeed, know the true God. And I was taken into captivity in Ireland with many thousands of people, according to our deserts, for quite drawn away from God, we did not keep his precepts, nor were we obedient to our priests who used to remind us of our salvation. And the Lord brought down on us the fury of his being, and scattered us among many nations, even to the ends of the earth, where I, in my smallness, am now to be found among foreigners. And there the Lord opened my mind to an awareness of my unbelief, in order that, even so late, I might remember my transgressions, and turn with all my heart to the Lord my God, who had regard for my insignificance, and pitied my youth and ignorance. And he watched over me before I knew him, and before I learned sense, or even distinguished between good and evil. And he protected me, and consoled me as a father would his son. Therefore, indeed, I cannot keep silent, nor would it be proper, so many favors and graces has the Lord deigned to bestow on me in the land of my captivity. For after chastisement from God, and recognizing Him, our way to repay Him is to exalt Him and confess His wonders before every nation under heaven. For there is no other God, nor ever was before, nor shall be hereafter, but God the Father, unbegotten and without beginning, in whom all things began, whose are all things, as we have been taught. And his Son Jesus Christ, who manifestly always existed with the Father, before the beginning of time in the Spirit with the Father, indescribably begotten before all things, and all things visible and invisible were made by him. He was made man, conquered death, and was received into heaven, to the Father who gave him all power over every name in heaven, and on earth, and in hell, so that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, in whom we believe. And we look to his imminent coming again, the judge of the living and the dead, who will render to each according to his deeds. And he poured out his Holy Spirit on us in abundance, the gift and pledge of immortality which makes the believers and the obedient into sons of God and co-heirs of Christ who is revealed. 
and we worship one God in the Trinity of Holy Name. He himself said through the prophet, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And again, it is right to reveal and publish abroad the works of God. I am imperfect in many things. Nevertheless, I want my brethren and kinsfolk to know my nature, so that they may be able to perceive my soul's desire. I am not ignorant of what is said of my Lord in the psalm. You destroy those who speak a lie. And again, a lying mouth deals death to the soul. And likewise, the Lord says in the Gospel, On the day of judgment men shall render account for every idle word they utter. So it is that I should mightily fear, with terror and trembling, this judgment on the day when no one shall be able to steal away or hide. But each and all shall render account for even our smallest sins before the judgment seat of Christ the Lord. And therefore, for some time I have thought of writing, but I have hesitated until now, for truly I feared to expose myself to the criticism of men, because I have not studied like others, who have assimilated both law and the holy scriptures equally, and have never changed their idiom since their infancy, but instead were always learning it increasingly, to perfection, while my idiom and language have been translated into a foreign tongue. So it is easy to prove from a sample of my writing, my ability in rhetoric, and the extent of my preparation and knowledge, for as it is said, wisdom shall be recognized in speech, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in the learning of truth. But why make excuses close to the truth, especially when now I am presuming to try to grasp in my old age what I did not gain in my youth, because my sins prevented me from making what I had read my own? But who will believe me, even though I should say it again? A young man, almost a beardless boy, I was taken captive before I knew what I should desire and what I should shun. So consequently, today, I feel ashamed, and I am mightily afraid to expose my ignorance, because, not eloquent, with a small vocabulary, I am unable to explain as the spirit is eager to do, and as the soul and mine indicate. But had it been given to me as to others, in gratitude I should not have kept silent. And if it should appear that I put myself before others, with my ignorance and my slower speech, in truth it is written, The tongue of the stammerers shall speak rapidly and distinctly. How much harder must we try to attain it, we of whom it is said, You are an epistle of Christ, in greeting to the ends of the earth, written on your hearts, not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And again, the Spirit witnessed that the rustic life was created by the Most High. I am, then, first of all, countrified, an exile, evidently unlearned, one who is not able to see into the future. But I know for certain that before I was humbled, I was like a stone lying in deep mire, and he that is mighty came and in his mercy raised me up, and indeed lifted me high up, and placed me on top of the wall. And from here I ought to shout out in gratitude to the Lord, 
for his great favors in this world are forever, that the mind of man cannot measure. Therefore be amazed, you great and small who fear God, and you men of God, eloquent speakers, listen and contemplate. Who was it summoned me, a fool, from the midst of those who appear wise and learned in the law, and powerful in rhetoric, and in all things? Me, truly wretched in this world, he inspired before others that I could be, if I would, such a one who, with fear and reverence, and faithfully, without complaint, would come to the people to whom the love of Christ brought me and gave me in my lifetime, if I should be worthy to serve them truly and with humility. According, therefore, to the measure of one's faith in the Trinity, one should proceed, without holding back from danger, to make known the gift of God and everlasting consolation, to spread God's name everywhere with confidence and without fear, in order to leave behind, after my death, foundations for my brethren and sons whom I baptized in the Lord in so many thousands. And I was not worthy, nor was I such that the Lord should grant his humble servant this, that after hardships and such great trials, after captivity, after many years, he should give me so much favor in these people, a thing which in the time of my youth I neither hoped for nor imagined. But after I reached Ireland, I used to pasture the flock each day, and I used to pray many times a day. More and more did the love of God and my fear of Him and faith increase, and my spirit was moved so that in a day I said from up to a hundred prayers, and in the night a like number. Besides, I used to stay out in the forests and on the mountain, and I would wake up before daylight to pray in the snow, in icy coldness, in rain, and I used to feel neither ill nor any slothfulness, because, as I now see, the Spirit was burning in me at that time. And it was there, of course, that one night in my sleep I heard a voice saying to me, you do well to fast. Soon you will depart for your home country. And again, a very short time later, there was a voice prophesying, Behold, your ship is ready. And it was not close by, but, as it happened, two hundred miles away, where I had never been, nor knew any person. And shortly thereafter, I turned about and fled from the man with whom I had been for six years, and I came, by the power of God, who directed my route to advantage, and I was not afraid of nothing, until I reached that ship. And on the same day that I arrived, the ship was setting out from the place, and I said that I had the wherewithal to sail with them, and the steerman was displeased and replied in anger sharply, By no means attempt to go with us. Hearing this, I left them to go to the hut where I was staying, and on the way I began to pray. And before the prayer was finished, I heard one of them shouting loudly after me, Come quickly, because the men are calling you. And immediately I went back to them, and they started to say to me, Come, because we are admitting you out of good faith. Make friendship with us in any way you wish. And so, on that day, I refused to suck the breasts of these men 
from fear of God, but nevertheless I had hopes that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, because they were barbarians. And for this I continued with them, and forthwith we put to sea. And after three days we reached land, and for twenty-eight days journeyed through uninhabited country, and the food ran out, and hunger overtook them. And one day the steersman began saying, Why is it, Christian, you say your God is great and all-powerful? Then why can you not pray for us? For we may perish of hunger. It is unlikely, indeed, that we shall ever see another human being. In fact, I said to them confidently, Be converted by faith with all your heart to my Lord God, because nothing is impossible for him, so that to-day he will send food for you on your road, until you be sated, because everywhere he abounds. And with God's help this came to pass, and behold, a herd of swine appeared on the road before our eyes, and they slew many of them, and remained there for two nights, and they were full of their meat, and well restored. For many of them had fainted, and would otherwise have been left half dead by the wayside. And after this they gave the utmost thanks to God, and I was esteemed in their eyes, and from that day they had food abundantly. They discovered wild honey besides, and they offered a share to me, and one of them said, It is a sacrifice, thanks be to God, I tasted none of it. The very same night, while I was sleeping, Satan attacked me violently, as I will remember as long as I shall be in this body. And there fell on top of me, as it were, a huge rock, and not one of my members had any force. But from whence did it come to me, ignorant in the spirit, to call upon Helios? And meanwhile I saw the sun rising in the sky, and while I was crying out, Helios, Helios, with all my might, lo, the brilliance of that sun fell upon me, and immediately shook me free of all the weight. And I believe that I was aided by Christ my Lord, and that his spirit then was crying out for me, and I hope that it will be so in the day of my affliction, just as it says in the Gospel. In that hour, the Lord declares, It is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking in you. And a second time, after many years, I was taken captive. On the first night I accordingly remained with my captors, but I heard a divine prophecy saying to me, You shall be with them for two months. So it happened. On the sixtieth night the Lord delivered me from their hands. On the journey he provided us with food and fire and dry weather every day, until on the tenth day we came upon people. As I mentioned above, we had journeyed through an unpopulated country for twenty-eight days, and in fact, the night that we came upon people, we had no food. And after a few years, I was again in Britain with my kinsfolk, and they welcomed me as a son, and asked me, in faith, that after the great tribulations I had endured, I should not go anywhere else away from them. And of course, there, in a vision of the night, I saw a man whose name was Victoricus, coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters, 
and he gave me one of them, and I read the beginning of the letter, The Voice of the Irish. And as I was reading the beginning of the letter, I seemed at that moment to hear the voice of those who were beside the forest of Folklut, which is near the western sea, and they were crying as if with one voice, We beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and shall walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart, so that I could read no more, and thus I awoke, thanks be to God, because after so many years the Lord bestowed on them according to their cry. And another night, God knows, I do not, whether within me or beside me, most words, which I heard and could not understand, except at the end of the speech, it was represented thus, He who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks within you. And thus I awoke, joyful. And on a second occasion I saw him praying within me, and I was, as it were, inside my own body, and I heard him above me, that is, above my inner self. He was praying powerfully with sighs, and in the course of this I was astonished and wondering, and I pondered who it could be who was praying within me. But at the end of the prayer it was revealed to me that it was the Spirit, and so I awoke and remembered the Apostle's words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for utterance. And again, the Lord our Advocate intercedes for us. And then I was attacked by a goodly number of my elders, who brought up my sins against my arduous episcopate. That day, in particular, I was mightily upset, and might have fallen here and for ever, but the Lord generously spared me, a convert and an alien, for his name's sake, and he came powerfully to my assistance in that state of being trampled down. I pray, God, that it shall not be held against them as a sin that I fell truly into disgrace and scandal. They brought up against me, after thirty years in occurrence, I had confessed before becoming a deacon. On account of the anxiety in my sorrowful mind, I laid before my close friend what I had perpetuated on a day, nay, rather in one hour, in my boyhood because I was not yet proof against sin. God knows, I do not whether I was fifteen years old at the time, and I did not then believe in the living God, nor had I believed since my infancy. But I remained in death and unbelief, until I was severely rebuked, and in truth I was humbled every day by hunger and nakedness. On the other hand, I did not proceed to Ireland of my own accord, until I was almost giving up, but through this I was corrected by the Lord, and he prepared me so that to-day I should be what was once far from me, in order that I should have the care of, or rather I should be concerned for, the salvation of others, when at that time, still, I was only concerned for myself. Therefore, on that day, when I was rebuked, as I have just mentioned, I saw in a vision of the night a document before my face, without honor, and meanwhile, I heard a divine prophecy saying to me, 
we have seen with displeasure the face of the chosen one divested of his good name and he did not say you have seen with displeasure but we have seen with displeasure as if he included himself he said then he who touches you touches the apple of my eye for that reason i give thanks to him who strengthened me in all things so that i should not be hindered in my setting out and also in my work which i was taught by christ my lord but more from that state of affairs i felt within me no little courage and vindicated my faith before god and man hence therefore i say boldly that my conscience is clear now and hereafter god is my witness and i have not lied in these words to you but rather i am grieved for my very close friend that because of him we deserve to hear such a prophecy the one to whom i entrusted my soul and i found out from a goodly number of brethren before the case was made in my defence in which i did not take part nor was i in britain nor was it pleaded by me that in my absence he would fight in my behalf besides he told me himself see the rank of bishop goes to you of which i was not worthy but how did it come to him shortly afterwards to disgrace me publicly in the presence of all good and bad because previously gladly and of his own free will he pardoned me as did the lord who is greater than all i have said enough but all the same i ought not to conceal god's gift which he lavished on us in the land of my captivity for then i sought him resolutely and i found him there and he preserved me from all evils as i believe through the indwelling of his spirit which works in me to this day again boldly but god knows if this had been made known to me by man i might perhaps have kept silent for the love of christ thus i give untiring thanks to god who kept me faithful in the days of my temptation so that to-day i may confidently offer my soul as a living sacrifice for christ my lord who am i lord or rather what is my calling that you appear to me in so great a divine quality so that to-day among the barbarians i might constantly exalt and magnify your name in whatever place i should be and not only in good fortune but even in affliction so that whatever befalls me be it good or bad i should accept it equally and give thanks always to god who revealed to me that i might trust in him implicitly and for ever and who will encourage me so that ignorant and in the last days i may dare to undertake so devout and so wonderful a work so that i might imitate one of those whom once long ago the lord already preordained to be heralds of his gospel to witness to all peoples to the ends of the earth so we are seeing and so it is fulfilled behold we are witnesses because the gospel has been preached as far as the places beyond which no man lives but it is tedious to describe in detail all my labors one by one i will tell briefly how most holy god frequently delivered me from slavery and from the twelve trials with which my soul was threatened 
from many traps as well, and from things I am not able to put into words. I would not cause offence to readers, but I have God as witness, who knew all things even before they happened, that, though I was a poor ignorant waif, still he gave me abundant warnings through divine prophecy. Whence came to me this wisdom which was not my own, I who neither knew the number of days, nor had knowledge of God? Whence came the so great and so healthful gift of knowing, or rather loving, God, though I should lose my homeland and family? And many gifts were offered to me with weeping and tears, and I offended them, the donors, and also went against the wishes of a good number of my elders. But guided by God, I neither agreed with them, nor deferred to them, not by my own grace, but by God, who is victorious in me, and withstands them all, so that I might come to the Irish people, to preach the gospel, and endure insults from unbelievers, that I might hear scandal of my travels, and endure many persecutions, to the extent of prison, and so that I might give up my free birthright for the advantage of others, and if I should be worthy, I am ready to give even my life without hesitation, and most willingly for his name, and I choose to devote it to him even unto death, if God grant it me. I am greatly God's debtor, because he granted me so much grace that through me many people would be reborn in God, and soon after confirmed, and that clergy would be ordained everywhere for them, the masses lately come to belief, whom the Lord drew from the ends of the earth, just as he once promised through his prophets. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Our fathers have inherited not but lies, worthless things, in which there is no profit. And again, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the uttermost ends of the earth. And I wish to wait for his promise, which is never unfulfilled, just as it is promised in the gospel. Many shall come from east and west, and shall sit at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, just as we believe that believers will come from all the world. So for that reason one should, in fact, fish well and diligently, just as the Lord foretells and teaches, saying, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So there we are ending our session about St. Patrick today. Lots of people will celebrate his feast day at the end of this week for all sorts of reasons both religious and secular. But I think it's really important as um, as people go out and they, they buy their shamrock shakes and they buy their green beer and whatever else it might be, that they remember the person behind the day that they are celebrating. And I think even if we are now in a place where we separate religion and celebration, where you can say that a feast day, a festival, has been secularized. In the case of St. Patrick, at least, where we have evidence that he was real, we have his own writings, we have 
his own records of his own beliefs. I think it is important to to understand the person that is being celebrated, the person that is being remembered uh, when we are looking at his day and when we are using St. Patrick's Day to sell cereal, to sell ice cream, whatever it might be. So there we are. That is the end of our show today. That is just a short introduction to the man behind the St. Patrick's Day celebrations. I do hope that you found it interesting. Um, I certainly did. It has been very interesting to dive into his life. I didn't know very much about him before I decided to do this show. Um, So it has been very interesting for me to read through his works, uh, to explore a little bit more about his life, and I hope that you felt the same way. Do tune in at 5pm today for Eugene, who is doing our late show today, and I will be back for breakfast with you next week. Thank you very much. I hope that you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.